0: The demand for electricity has been soaring around the world, and this increase in demand is expected to continue. Governments have been passing laws to phase out the use of fossil fuels and to electrify everything. The goal is to electrify transportation heating, household appliances like stoves and laundry dryers, and even industrial processes that use a lot of power like iron, steel, concrete and chemical production. The growth of working from home along with new technologies like generative AI have increased the demand for power-hungry data centers. Both Europe and the United States are heavily incentivizing onshoring the production of semiconductors. The US with its CHIPS Act to build chip fabs which once again require a lot of power to run. Today 60% of electricity in the United States comes from burning fossil fuels, and the idea behind a lot of the new legislation is to electrify everything while decarbonizing the supply of electricity, thus decarbonizing the economy. Remember, electricity is only a portion of overall energy usage. Fossil fuels provide over 80% of global power today. The proposed change involves a huge increase in the amount of electricity that we use. Solomon Goldstein Rose's TED talk argues that the current energy policies, if achieved, would replace today's power generation entirely with clean energy by 2050. He argues though that this would not be nearly enough. We instead will need five times that amount of power to charge electric vehicles, heat homes and electrify various industrial processes if we take growth in demand into account. He points out that today over 700 million people don't have access to electricity and billions more have unreliable access to small amounts of energy, and that this is likely to change by 2050, meaning that energy demand in developing economies will continue to grow dramatically, This is a good thing in the developing world, as access to energy lifts people out of poverty and provides access to education, but it does mean that significantly more power needs to be generated. If we look at transitioning to electric cars alone, you start to see the scale of the problem of the electrify everything strategy. At the moment less than 1% of American cars are electric and charging them at home is very convenient for their owners. Roughly a third of American households have a garage where they can easily charge an EV. But if most American homes began charging electric cars at night, residential power transformers in neighborhoods around the country would be overloaded. Neighborhood wiring grids would all have to be upgraded with bigger transformers and thicker wires running to houses so that this much power could be used all at once in a given neighborhood. If EVs were more widely used and are mostly being charged at night when there is less demand on the grid, the air-cooled transformers on the local utility poles would not get to cool at night as they usually do, and could be too warm the next morning when normal residential peak loads begin to heat them up further thus increasing the risk of daytime overload failures, even when the cars are only being charged during off-peak hours. A rest period is needed for these systems to function optimally as designed. The bigger, heavier transformers needed to support high power demands would and will eventually require the replacement of many of today's 180 million roadside utility poles in the United States. This is an expensive upgrade. The people who don't have garages where they can charge their car at night would need to use some sort of shared charging infrastructure. For a shared charger to come anywhere close to the convenience of filling up a car with gasoline, let's say taking 20 to 40 minutes to charge, it needs to operate at power levels of 250 to 300 kilowatts. So, each individual fast charger needs to operate at around 100 times the power level of a typical American home. EV superchargers, the type that you might see at EV charging stations on the highway, cost around $200,000 each to install, and that is per unit, and because supercharging is still slower than filling up a car's tank, to prevent long waiting lines, an EV charging station would need three to four superchargers to replace each outgoing petrol pump. This is expensive to install and takes up a lot of space. Installing a large bank of these superchargers at one location creates a grid power demand comparable to a small town or a steel mill. When we look at replacing diesel trucks with electric semi-trucks, their fast chargers would require power equivalent to 1500 homes, and that is per charging point in order to fast charge their large batteries. So a single electric semi-truck charger would essentially require its own substation to charge just one truck at a time. A battery the size that goes in an electric semi would take around six days to charge if plugged into a standard residential outlet. The state of New York projects that by 2050, electric cars, trucks and buses will use the equivalent of half of all of the electricity that was used in New York City in 2019, meaning that the transition to EVs in New York alone will be equivalent to powering a new city of 4 million people. As you can hopefully see from just the EV example, Transitioning everything that currently runs on fossil fuels to electricity would require a huge additional power generation and massively upgraded transmission storage and distribution infrastructure throughout the country. The consensus is that the utility industry will be capable of generating enough clean power for the coming wave of electrification, but the real bottlenecks are likely to occur in the transmission of power to its end users. This move to electrification would involve a huge amount of mining to produce the minerals that go into batteries and the copper that clean electricity generation technologies require. You have to mine around 500,000 pounds of minerals and rock to make one EV battery. The modern grids being discussed involve much larger battery storage units connected to the grid to even out power supply. Power companies have dealt with big increases in power demand before, such as the widespread installation of air conditioning that occurred in the United States fifty or so years ago, and more recently the construction of massive data centers for cloud storage. This new wave of electrification presents a much greater challenge than in the past though, as not only would there be a big step up in energy demand, but the way that electricity is generated and the locations of the replacement power plants and the way that power is supplied to homes are expected to change all at once. Some grid operators are already struggling to deal with power demand in certain areas and at certain times. California had to ask residents to avoid charging electric cars in the evening during a heat wave last September to help avoid overloading the grid. Utility operators in other locations have warned at times of possible rolling blackouts to prevent system collapses. In much of the Western world, power grids were developed after the Second World War to send electricity from big fossil fuel or nuclear power stations, where it was generated via a network of power lines and cables to our homes and to industry. Most of the big power plants around the world are located near densely populated areas close to people or businesses that they serve. The goal in the United States is to reduce overall CO2 emissions by 50 percent by 2030, with most of the power coming from renewable sources by 2050. In order to replace the existing power plants with wind and solar, you can't just put a wind farm or some solar panels where the power station used to be. Wind farms need to be where the wind is strongest, and solar panels need to be where the sun is shining. In the United States, aside from some offshore wind farms, most of the renewable generation would need to happen in the middle of the country, not close to the big population centers. The power would then need to be transmitted to the coastal regions where most Americans live. This is to a certain extent the opposite of the Rural Electrification Act that was passed in 1936 to push utilities to provide electricity to isolated rural areas in the United States. In a decarbonized future, you would need to move a lot of power over long distances, and that's where transmission lines come in. In some places there is more electricity than there is the capability to transport it. For example, in Vermont, they had to put a moratorium on new solar and wind projects because the transmission lines couldn't carry any more electricity. Most of the places with the best sun and wind are far from big cities and far from the existing grids. To connect them up, we would need thousands of miles of new high-voltage transmission lines. To achieve the goal set in the United States of 100% clean electricity generation by 2035, transmission capacity would need to more than double in the next 10 years, according to researchers at Princeton University. Getting that done is significantly more difficult than installing solar cells and wind farms. There are enormous challenges to building that much transmission. One is obtaining the rights of way and government permits to run these cables. Landowners and nearby communities often don't want huge pylons installed on their land or near their houses. Often a power plant developer can get 99% of the landowners to agree, but if one refuses the whole deal is off. The kinds of long distance transmission lines that would transport wind and solar from remote rural areas to population centres are a lot longer and a lot more heavy duty than the lines that are in place today and they often require the approval of multiple regional authorities who often disagree over whether the lines are needed or who should pay for them. On top of all of this, sourcing the required materials might also be a huge challenge. High voltage power lines are bare, uninsulated wires that have to be kept far enough off the ground and far enough away from each other so that they are safe. They also need to be kept far enough away from everything else like trees to prevent arcs that can cause forest fires. We would need to not only build new high voltage transmission lines, but also to make the existing ones much bigger so that they can carry much more electricity. This involves cutting down pathways through forests, which upsets environmentalists, and then continuously maintaining these areas so that the transmission lines are kept safe. One of the biggest roadblocks to a transition to a fully electric future is the amount of copper that would be required to put all of this infrastructure in place. Millions of feet of copper wire are needed to build the more complex grids that can handle electricity produced by decentralised renewable sources. Copper is needed for the upgraded wiring in houses as everything is electrified. It is not just the transmission wiring. Solar and wind farms use a lot more copper per unit of power produced than centralised coal and gas fired power stations do. Electric vehicles use more than twice as much copper as gasoline powered cars. As a result, annual copper demand is projected to double to 50 million metric tons by 2035 according to S&P Global. That assumes enough copper will even be mined, which is far from certain. The $3 billion, 700 dollar, long power transmission cable known as an interconnector that is supposed to connect the British grid to Germany has been delayed by four years, in large part due to delays in acquiring supplies of electricity cable. A link between Denmark and Britain has been similarly delayed by problems including unforeseeable cable market congestion while a cable linking France and Spain across the Bay of Biscay is also running one year behind. Demand for high voltage cables for offshore wind projects is expected to significantly increase over the next ten years. It is not just wiring either. Lead times for electricity parts have gone through the roof, according to the U.S. National Rural Electric Cooperative Association. The U.S. Department of Energy flagged a shortage of transformers and other grid components last year. Recycling more copper won't bring nearly enough new supply into the system either, so the only alternative is to mine for more copper. New high-quality copper deposits are unfortunately getting more difficult and more expensive to find, and increased scrutiny of mining's social and environmental impact has raised production costs and placed more barriers on expansion. Mining companies have been badly burned in the past when they boosted output just as the industry cycle turned and demand fell. Since then they have prioritized strong balance sheets and have become more cautious about investing in new projects. The higher interest rate environment additionally makes capital spending less attractive as it pushes up operating and borrowing costs for miners. According to researchers at Goldman Sachs, growth in copper supply is expected to peak next year and then decline as fewer new mining projects come online and existing sources dry up. There is all sorts of complexity in the way that modern grids work and electricity is priced. Typically, solar and wind projects are only built after a power purchase agreement has been signed with a utility, agreeing to sell the electricity at a pre-agreed price. A Chilean solar company ran into trouble last year as their plant in the north of the country had agreed to supply electricity to a node in the south of the country. A lot of the time the plant found itself unable to inject the energy they were producing onto the grid as the transmission lines in the north of Chile were already saturated, especially at peak sunlight hours when the solar cells were generating. The solar company still had to provide the power they had agreed to at the delivery point in the south of the country, and found themselves dumping the energy they were generating and paying to buy spot electricity in the south of the country from another provider so that they could deliver it to their customer as per their agreement. This caused huge losses for the company, while at the same time wasting the renewable power production. In the United States. Hardly any major high-voltage power lines that connect different grid regions have been built in recent decades. While utilities and grid operators now spend around $25 billion per year on transmission, much of that consists of local upgrades instead of long-distance lines that would be needed for the Electrify Everything plan. Already a lack of transmission capacity means that thousands of proposed energy projects are facing multi-year delays and rising costs to connect to the power grid. In many parts of the country power line congestion is so severe that the grid can't deliver electricity from wind and solar projects to where it is needed. The Inflation Reduction Act set aside $5 billion for direct loans for the construction modification or repowering of generation and transmission facilities, but an analysis from the Boston Consulting Group puts the utility grid improvement costs at $400 billion to over $1 trillion if the United States were to switch to an all-EV American car fleet, more than 100 times what has been budgeted. That is just the cost of the grid upgrade for EVs that does not include electrifying everything. To make it easier for all parts of the grid to deal with higher demand, some utility companies are working with car makers on what they call deferrable managed or smart charging. This technology asks vehicle owners to input their travel schedules and then works out the best time to charge their car based on when they will need it. The technology coordinates this information with off-peak power periods to determine the optimum charging time. Other technologies allow the power company to pause EV charging during periods of peak electricity demand. Participating customers who will receive up to $100 in gift cards will be texted before a pause and can opt out of it. Some utilities are experimenting with a more advanced setup called bidirectional charging, which lets EVs aid the grid during peak demand by sending power back to the grid from their batteries making them part of the solution to the problem. The batteries are refilled by the utility when demand eases. Most of these setups will require upgrades to power networks and wiring inside of homes and specific charging technology inside EVs. I am not sure to what extent people would be happy to go out to their car and find it low on charge at a time that they need it, but this is an option being discussed. At present, one of the things that brings down the cost of owning an EV is that you don't pay any gas taxes taxes which are used to fund road construction, maintenance and repair, all of which is necessary. This couldn't reasonably be expected to continue in the long run if mass EV adoption were to occur. All of the grid upgrades that are needed to fund the electrify everything policies are costly and real and will show up somewhere, even if governments engage in shell games. The implication is that the cost of electricity will have to go up to finance all of this new infrastructure. Last year, Congress approved hundreds of billions of dollars for solar panels, wind turbines, electric vehicles and other technologies to tackle global warming. Researchers at the Princeton-led Repeat Project argue that if the country can't build new transmission at a faster pace, roughly 80% of the emissions reductions expected from that bill might not happen at all. Last month, China's leader Xi Jinping declared that China would not be sticking with the Paris Climate Accords. EVs are, of course, not pollution free, because their manufacturing causes a lot of pollution and they need electricity to charge them, and electricity generation creates emissions one way or another. For China, following the Paris Climate Accords would remove power from China's already stressed electrical grid, just as millions of EVs have been sold across the country. Investors have been very excited about putting their money into companies that they expect to be big winners in the energy transition. A Vietnamese EV startup called Vinfast, which sold only 24,000 cars globally last year, went public this week at a price that makes it more valuable than Ford, General Motors, BMW and Volkswagen, all of whom sell more electric vehicles than Vinfast do. If you believe the optimistic projections for how many EVs are likely to be on the roads in coming decades, more money might still be made by investing in the companies that will put the needed infrastructure in place instead of auto manufacturers who are in a much more competitive space. Let me know your thoughts in the comments section, I am always interested in what viewers have to say. Thanks for tuning into this week's podcast, a special thanks to our Patreon supporters who make all of this possible. Have a great week and talk to you again soon. Bye.